Good to be in the house of the Lord together. And uh, know that God is with us as two or three are gathered in his name. We uh, just love being with uh, the people of God because there is where the temple of God comes and we bring him here. And, uh, and it's an awesome thing. It's good to see the children being uh, promoted and moving on ahead and growing, not only physically, but uh, in uh, maturity-wise, to be uh, young men and young women who, who will carry the Lord Jesus Christ into the world of darkness all around them and do that with both conviction and uh, the power of God at work within them. Through the living Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are going to need our prayers continually. We don't just send them out and away, but they need, uh, as we all do, continued support and strength. Um, so God is good. I want to also acknowledge um, uh, the fact that um, uh, we have a, um, a tremendous group of men in this church. We have, a, we have a great women's ministry here too. I don't think that there's, uh, I could think of any church that would exceed the men's ministry and the women's ministry we got going here. Uh, today, uh, today, this week, I was the recipient of some of their, um, their kindness and love and good works. Five of the men came over to our house. Uh, while I'm uh, convalescing for about a week and a half every month from uh, chemo treatments and not even able to stand up without much great pain in my legs and a number of other side effects, they came over and did a whole bunch of work on our exterior of our house. We had a fallen tree that's been there for about five or six years, needed to be cut up and carried out to back to be burned. And um, it was uh, Randy Rivington, Dennis, and uh, Louie, and Paul, and uh, Tom Stee. And uh, these guys, uh, I mean, they put in a whole day's work with um, all the equipment and uh, weeded and mulched the whole front of the house and did stuff that we just not, haven't been able to get to for a long time. And that's, these guys, and this is not, not an isolated incident, they do this for, for folks that have need in the body. And um, let me tell you something, those are the things that demonstrate the love of Christ and uh, where to put it in action, right? Um, and they do, they do that. Uh, every once in a while, um, I know, you know, uh, it may be embarrassing to, to point out things, but I want to, um, hey, you know what? It needs to be remembered and acknowledged that uh, we got people in this, in this church, the men and the women, who are there to serve, not to be served, and to put the love of Christ in action. So um, thank you all for what you, can, what you guys do. And um, I know the Lord blesses you. My only uh, regret was is that I couldn't be out there with them helping them. But, um, but thank you all for that. Um, I'm going to turn, uh, I'm going to begin this morning turn with uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, we will uh, open the word here this morning with, um, with prayer and get right into God's Word. I'm going to go ahead and do a third installment and the last one on uh, something I've spoken on the last two times. I'm here. I've been up here. Father, Son, with a capital S, and then Sons, and then, uh, well, that's, that was 
actually what you see up on the screen is that was that was the title of the first installment this today if you'll look at your uh, bulletin the title for today father son capital s sons and evangelism so we're going to turn the corner the first week we uh, i did this we talked about the father as the source of love and that love remember that love is what he is not what he does it's what he is god is love and that is because god is father he is father by his very nature and essence as creator and as redeemer those are things that he does and we're not defined by what we do but we're for defined but we do according to what we are and we understand that and we understand the trinity the trinity expresses um, not only a theological truth, but it expresses and shows us and reveals to us who God is. He is a father and by, because he is in essence love. And love isn't just a feeling or an emotion. By its very nature, it demands otherness. If there's nothing there or no one there to love, where is love? It's not possible to love unless there's two or more there or two with both having the ability to think, reason, feel, and have a will, will towards the other one, self, at the expense of its own life. And the Father eternally existed with the Son, the Son eternally existed with the Father, and the Holy Spirit as well was there loving. We're going to focus most on the Father and the Son's relationship because that's where we come in. We come in as sons. We're brought in through the work of the one and only Son of God who eternally existed with the Father as Son and the Father loving the Son and the Son returning that love to the Father. There was always the two. They, the Word was with God and the Word was God, both at the same time. There's a plurality there. And without that, you don't have a God who loves and whose very purpose in creation came from his eternal existence, which was an eternal relationship of love. One to the other, reciprocated from the, from the other to the one. That's exactly what he is. And he wasn't just content with that. He wanted that to be reproduced in others and more. Sons, more sons. It was God's plan and will. He didn't create and snap into existence the heavens and the earth and the stars and the universe and an infinite universe because he was bored and wanted to do something cool. But he created all of that for one reason, to put somebody on it that he would create in his image and likeness because he wanted fellowship and relationship with one like him in his image and likeness through whom he would have a relationship and he would call them sons. All the rest is details and it's going to this heaven and earth is going to pass away and they're going to get a new one that's fit for sons that's able to go on for eternity aren't you looking forward to that i know i am with this body that i have now we're going to get a new one it's no longer subject to sin disease sickness and ultimately death that's a promise and god doesn't make promises that he doesn't make good on and we have the down payment of that promise. And when a down payment is put down and paid on there and, and we've received that, you know the guy's going to come back and make good on that. He made a down payment on it. He's not going away. That's mine. And that down payment is called the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. He's the down payment and the guarantee that he's going to uh, 
complete the rest of his uh, project that he's begun. So that's kind of just like a backdrop of that. So when I turn the corner today a little bit and complete this, the last couple of chapters of this book that I've been going from um, here called Delighting in the Trinity, Introduction to the Christian Faith, Michael Reeves, um, is going to come from now the last uh, couple chapters in here. I'm telling you, this book, this book uh, got better as it went along, if it could possibly be. It's one of the best things I've read, I think, in the last five years or so. I highly recommend it. It's not, it's not um, highly intellectual, per se, or theological. It's very conversational, easy to understand, but profoundly simple and simply profound. And those, were, those are the way... Um, uh, the most uh, spiritual truths are. Uh, everything that is true um, that, that's taught in Scripture is relevant. And when we see that light, it changes us. I get excited about that, and I hope you will um, get something out of that too. So today, we're going to look at now from the relationship of the Father of Son, now how it's going to extend to us and me, and how Christ, what Christ did in his first coming that allows that to come in and other sons to come in. And then just like he, the Father sent him, he sent, and he, sent, he brings us in as sons, and we're part of it. We are in him, and he is in us, just like the Son is in the Father. The Father is in the Son, and, now, and then the Son sent the Father, and now the Son sends the rest of us as sons to do the same thing he did. What is that? Go and reproduce. Same way as we did. Same way as I did with you. You can do the same thing. Reproduce my life and the next person. How cool is that? We're getting to not only be like one with the Father, but we're in him and we're taking his yoke and doing the same work as he's doing. Not in our strength, but in his strength, because it's God that gives life. Not me and you, but he allows us to, to, to bring us in on that with him. So, um, we're gonna, there's uh, three things that, uh, that Jesus did in his uh, passing on this, uh, almost like, I guess, a baton of sonship. But it's, he's really not passing in it, because he's not, he's not leaving it himself. He's, he's including us as his sons uh, that have received this inheritance in his mission. And we're working along together with his mission. He's, uh, it's his yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm going to be yoked together with you, side by side, one with one. You're yoking together with me as we do this mission together. You're having the same mission that the Father has given to me, and, I'm, and you're going to walk along with me. I'm telling you, there is no greater purpose or satisfaction on this earth than to be in the midst of the mission of the Father that we have as sons today in Christ. Amen. So, Father, Lord, as we open up the Word and we consider things, Lord, and we open up, you're in the entrance of your words is life, and there's light to our soul, there's light to our mind to bring thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in him we live and we move and we have our being. We're asking today, Lord, that you would, you will uh, arrest our hearts with your truth 
and change us and sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth, L making us realize more than ever who we are according to what, who you are and what you have done and accomplished for us, that we'll see more clearly than ever what our mission is, and it is your mission. Make your mission our mission, and your heart our heart, and your thoughts our thoughts, because they're so much higher than our own. So displace our own with your own through your word, and by the word of life that comes to us through Jesus Christ and the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, Hebrews chapter 13, um, while you put, you guys want to slap that up there real quick, I'm going to read a quick quote from this book to kind of set this stage here. Um, I'll begin with a quote, then I'll end a little bit later with a quote as well. Um, watch this now. Je Jesus, I'm going to give you three things. I wish I had had time, um, but um, to put this to put this on print and give it to you, because I'm going to use a, a three-point outline. I'll, you'll get it and you'll understand it if you're taking notes. But I'm going to do three things that Jesus, that characterize Jesus' mission and ministry that was going to create sons as he left them in John 17 and discussed with them what his mission was as he was going to be with the Father and that they were going to be entrusted with this mission. These are three things that, that were the bedrocks of that, kind of like three legs of a stool. And without them, without one of the legs, the stool is going to collapse. You better not sit on it unless you got all three, right? And those three things are, and I'll go through this, um, one is rejection, two, glory, and three, uh, evangelism or discipleship. Um, one, the first thing, rejection, is that in order, to, in order to take up the mission of the Father through the world, you're going to experience rejection from the world. The world is not going to like it. It's not going to get along with it. It's going to go against everything that the world thinks and what its plans and agenda is. It's not going to be received. And first and foremost, from religious people who are not in line with the mission of the Father. The Jews with the Pharisees, and their, their mission was not to do the Father's will. He said, if you were Abraham's children, you would receive, if you believed as Abraham believed, you would be receiving me, not rejecting me. So rejection is the first thing, and that means that um, a life that bears fruit, a life that's bearing fruit, that is reproducing other life, if my life is re actually reproducing spiritual life in those who watch my life and live under the shadow of this, of this tree, it's just one oak tree, then it is going to be a life that is rejected, not celebrated by the world. Cele the world doesn't celebrate that kind of life. The world wants a life that does me good. That does that I need. That's good for me. If that person is toxic, get the heck away from them. You don't need that. It's not good for you. Jesus tells us something different. Die to yourself. Go there. Get insulted. 
love them anyway. Boy, that doesn't seem very cool. Why would I want to do that? You won't have an answer to that question until you've first seen him and been to the cross. Then you'll have a mission to do as he did. You're going to expect rejection from the world and its line of thinking, which is all about building self up, getting your own self-esteem, doing what's good for you, doing what's going to make you a better person. Instead, Christ says, follow me. Will you trust me that your life will be more fuller? And trust your future and your reputation and your success into my hands? So there's rejection. We're going to see that, how Jesus exactly did that. Um, so here, check this out. Um, Jesus suffered outside the camp, according to Hebrews 13, which we're about to take a look at here. And that is, he went out beyond where the people of God are, outside the city gate, outside the city wall, to make people holy through his own blood. He died on Calvary, which was outside the city wall, so that those who would come to God through faith in his blood shed on the tree would then be would then have the rights of sonship to come back inside the city wall where God dwelt in his temple and had fellowship with people through that. But, his, but they had, the, the sacrifice was made outside the city wall. Not only is it outside the city wall, and those of you who've gone to Israel, you've seen there and you've experienced it like we did. Um, I did back in 83. Outside on the south, on the, excuse me, on the east wall of the city, towards the east, and on the southeast corner is the city of David, and there's an outside of there, and on the and just uh, uh, beyond that you have the uh, Mount of uh, the the Olive Garden, Gethsemane, uh, and then uh, the place where Christ, uh, it, it's called the hill or a Mount of Calvary. It's not, you know, it's not a natural mountain. You read that in the script. You know what it was a mountain of. Over, we, we live in the uh, Auburn Hills area by Great Lakes, and right down Brown Road uh, there, there is what they call a landfill. And all these big uh, garbage trucks that fill themselves with all your garbage that you put down on the corner, they, they go up, that, and, and they have to, they, they, these huge trucks go up the hill and up the mound, and in the summertime, oh boy, it stinks to high heaven for a mile because they have to break the ground, the dirt and stuff, and open all this decomposing garbage up and dump more garbage in it and then close it back up. You drive by there during the summertime, with, during the hot months, you'd be holding your nose and shutting your windows and stuff. doesn't all help that much. It's a landfill. It's where the people in the city went and dumped their waste material and buried it and where they would put to death uh, Gentile people, people who were not holy, they were not Israelites, they were killed and buried. They were not allowed to be buried with Israelites. They were buried outside the city around the landfill area. And that's where the crosses were placed, where the Romans crucified Christ on the landfill area where human waste was buried and where criminals who were not uh, of the faith were put to death. That's where he died. Outside the city gate as one who was despised and rejected. 
So what does Hebrews chapter 13 say? Let us, me and you, therefore, you want to follow Christ? Go outside the camp. You want to follow him? That's where you're going to find Jesus. Outside the camp of those, of those who are accepted and loved and celebrated by the world. You're going to have to be numbered with people who don't think you're cool and like your style if you want to follow Christ. They didn't like him. They're not going to like his followers much better. And they'll do the same things. Go to him who's outside the camp. That's the first thing we're going to... to uh, in other words, Jesus, found, Jesus is found out there in the place of rejection. That is where the Father sent him, that he might bring sinners back into his household as not just redeemed sinners, but as children, sons with an inheritance who have an eternal relationship with God. That's where the Father sent him, that he might bring sinners back as children. The Christian life is one of being where he is, joining in how he has been sent. What then is the motiv motivation? Why, well, uh, why did the Father send the Son? Because the Father so enjoyed loving the Son that he wanted his love to be in others. Remember John 17, verse 25, 26 says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, it, the world rejects the Son and does, just is completely stymied and has no concept of why would somebody who's a Messiah and claims to be a Messiah, claims to be coming from, that God's his Father, be dying on a shameful cross as a sinner, as a condemned and rejected sinful Gentile. Why would that be happening if he really was God's? Uh, the world doesn't know him. And it's not possible for an unregenerate person in this world to know God in that way who is spirit because he is holy and he's righteous and he's perfect. We are not. The Bible may declare that every man born in this world is born separate from God, severed from him, dead towards God, dead in trespasses and sins. So, to follow Christ and have, a, and have a relationship with God that's alive, you're going to be in a place of rejection in terms of this world. Uh, maybe we should stop wanting to make the world like us and start reaching and pursuing a world that is actually in hostility to the living God who loves them right where they're at. Anyways. This is what Jesus' motivation was, John 17, 25, Righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. My disciples who you've given me, they know you have sent me, that I am from you. And I, Father, have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that in order that the love that you have for me may also be in them, and I myself will be in them. 
such an intimacy with God that we're not, to, we're not just promised to walk with him and have uh, answers come when we need them, that God's going to answer prayer, but you'll have the very mind of God, the mind of Christ in you, imparted to you because he's making his residence in you. That's what the power of the gospel does. That's, Christ, that's the Christian faith. Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's right. That's from Colossians. That, the, that I will be in them. This is his, his bit. So why did the son go? Because he says, I, why did he came here? He came here and went and went to that place of rejection to the cross. Because, and this is his quote, John 14, 31. Because I love the father and I do exactly what my father has commanded me. That's why I come, and that's why I'm going. No man takes my life from me. I'm going to the cross on purpose because I love the Father, and that was the Father's plan and will. And, I, and it's important that my disciples see and know that. It's my love for the Father. Why? Because if you're going to be a son, you're going to have to follow him and follow the Father's will the same way that the son loves and does the Father's will, not his own will. When we see the son, that's what we see. You know, I've said it many times before that the son came and he didn't, he didn't speak his own words. He spoke only what he heard the Father speak. He didn't do his own deeds. All of his own deeds were those he saw the Father do. He was a son that lived for his father's will. And the, and the father says, this is my son whom I love. You all listen to him and follow me. When he comes to his disciples, he says, follow me, right? And I will make you, it's on our letterhead, it's Fisherman's Net. Mark, Mark, what's it? Mark 4, 19, I will make you fishers of men fishers of men, to being men coming in to be um, sons, just the same as I, the son, am with the father. Um, that's, his, that's his purpose um, and pleasure. So Hebrews uh, chapter, um, let's read this real quick. We have an altar from those who minister at the tabernacle, the Jewish priests don't even have a right to eat at. We're talking about a, the spiritual tabernacle in the heavenlies. That's where we dwell. Um, the high priest carries the blood of animals to the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. All those, uh, the blood of the bulls and goats and lambs that were sin offerings, and there was a multiple different kinds of, uh, there were peace offerings, there was uh, um, fellowship offerings and uh, burnt offerings, but those that were given as sin offerings, their bodies were to, to, to be burned outside the camp, representing the fact that sin cannot dwell uh, with inside the camp with God's people, nor could it be brought into uh, the place, the holy place inside the temple. It had to be cast out. God, sin cannot dwell where God is. He cannot dwell with sin. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the, the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go with him outside the camp. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confesses 
his name. So this is not responding. It takes about three clicks to get. Um, all right. Um, I'm going to go to, uh, let's go to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah, you know, the servant song of Isaiah, very, one of the most important passages in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is where the servants, the, the gospel is clearly portrayed. And Isaiah, from the last three chapters of 52 and all of J Isaiah 53, and I'm just going to look at these, the first few verses there, because this is, this is what the world looks at. This is how the world sees a king Who's to be? Who you would expect to be celebrated as the most important man in the in the kingdom? The king, all authority and all power and, and everything that we are is defined by who the king is and how he lives. And we have a king who's on a tree, dying in, naked and in a shameful way as a criminal. And 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 the nations can't understand that, but those who understand and see what's going on spiritually from God's point of view, understand that. Here is the servant psalm. Behold, see, my servant will act wisely. This is the one who's, who's claimed the, 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 Davidic, the right to the Davidic throne. That, that, that's a, that, this is the word servant itself. Last week uh, when Josh spoke, um, he mentioned, and I think Donna also read Isaiah, this part from Isaiah, uh, from, excuse me, um, Philippians chapter 2, how that uh, he took on the form of a servant, though he was existed for eternity as God in the flesh, and deity wasn't something he, he needed to grasp onto, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. The servant is seen in Isaiah and pictured so clearly here, and it completely sets up on its, on its uh, upside down what the Jewish expectation of Messiah would be. Their expectation was a deliverer who would come, exterminate and extinguish the enemies of God's people, Israel, and be seated on his throne ultimately forever. That is a promise and that they hope for even today. And here we're looking at somebody who's got divine power and authority and even the divine nature, and he is called a servant. He's the king. How is the king a servant? Because he's doing the will of somebody else at the expense of his own life. Something more important. He is a servant and he will act wisely. Um, he will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. The raised up and lifted up, there's a phrase right there. Uh, may not come out in this passage so much, but uh, in uh, uh, this is the NIV, right? That, that, there's, that's a phrase that comes right out of chapter 6 of Isaiah, where Isaiah sees uh, the Lord, the Ancient of Days, high and lifted up and seated on a temple, and his train filled the temple, and the glory of God all, consumed all. So the same one who's high and lifted up on a, on, uh, and filled with the glory of God is now uh, called a servant, and wait till you see about what he's about to do. Come on, clicker. <laughs> Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured, this glorious, mighty king of Israel, 
so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. I'm going to come back to this word appalled in a minute. Flip. So that he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Actually, their mouths are just hanging open in absolute wonder and awe. They're stupefied about what they're about to see as he is crucified and ripped apart uh, like uh, a beast would tear apart its prey. Disfigured beyond human uh, imagination, beyond being recognized as a human, blood and flesh everywhere. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Now he's talking about many nations and all nations. Who, <laughs> all right, we just went about two pages forward. Um, all right. I'm not having so good success with this um, remote here. So, um, but before we move on, here's verse 14. There are many who, who, many who will be appalled at him. Now, you, you know what's going on? Um, what's going on right here is, is um, now I looked up this word appalled in the Hebrew lexicon. As it turns out, it's very important. This word, it's a Hebrew word, shamem, and it's they uh it's the the word is actually uh to be to be completely numb dumbfounded stupefied to the point of and to the point of and, and there's other places in the in the scriptures where you can look this up and see how this word is used elsewhere that that the person who is appalled is actually decimated and actually destroyed everything i thought about everything is completely turned upside down on its head. I, I don't know what to think. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm actually stunned to the point of being numb by what I'm seeing um, here. My bubble has been, just been burst. Everything is different than the way I thought it was going to be. <clears throat> and as far as uh, me and what my thinking is, it's just completely wasted. I'm wasted. That's what the nations are when they look at this one who is who is God in the flesh, claimed uh, equality with God as his father, and uh, kingship and the rightful king to Israel's throne. And he's being um, uh, destroyed and, and uh, uh, beyond, uh, uh, so that his form and his body are beyond human recognition and human likeness. We look at that, um, and I'm looking at that, and I'm seeing that, um, what, what do you do with that? There's one thing, one, one thing and one incidence uh, that all four Gospels record at the foot of the cross at Calvary of Jesus, and that's the Roman centurion. A Roman soldier standing there, who's the centurion, he's in charge of a hundred soldiers. He's standing there at the foot of the cross. He sees... Nothing but a mass of, of blood. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's had the crown of thorns tear up his skull. And he's nailed to the cross. The spear has been put in. He's just at, utters his last words to Telestai, it is finished. 
and he gives up his breath, last breath. And at that moment, the veil that was in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. There's an earthquake that shakes. The sun is darkened, so nobody can see like it's midnight. And then the, the earth quakes and shakes so that rocks are falling out of, the, out of the, where the tombs are located in the mountains. And this Roman centurion sees all of this and says, truly or surely, this has to be the Son of God. There's something more to what's going on here than, than can be explained here. Jesus, uh, uh, to look at the cross, created faith because that which was perfect and holy and who made everything gave himself up and took on the form of a servant to take on the punishment of a wicked man and be counted among the wicked. And that shuts the mouth of every man. The Bible says that when he returns in glory the second time, and every eye will see him, and, and they who pierced him, which is the Jew, will see him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will see and know by the marks on his hands and feet. This was the one we rejected and crucified, and they will mourn him, and they will believe in their Messiah, and they will be brought back in, just like the picture of Joseph. Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, only later on to be the one who looked at them with pity and compassion and forbearance. And his rejection by them and his suffering in Egypt as a criminal, unrighteously, in a jail for 17 years in Egypt, to be raised up later, became their salvation and redemption. And he chose to bring them in. He chose to forgive them. Listen, boys, what you guys intended for evil was God's will, and he intended that for good. And there's a picture of exactly why Jesus went willingly to the cross, to that. So why didn't, they, why didn't the, those who were his own um, accept him? Why didn't they? Uh, uh, there's a passage here in, in John chapter 5. Look at this. John chapter 5, verse... Uh, uh, 41, I don't accept praise from men, but I know you, speaking to the Jews, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me, but if somebody else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praises from one another, but you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from God? They were more interested in, what, in what, their, what their peers said. Peer approval was more important to them to discern and to determine what they were going to do, what was right and wrong, than truth, than having a, a standard of truth higher than then. Everybody else believes it. Everybody else is going that way. It must be right. And peer approval and praises from men was more important to them, and that kept them on the outside of faith. Jesus said, if you, want, if you want to follow me, if you love truth, if you loved truth, you would know who I am and you would believe me and follow me. So that is the first thing. Who do we love and who are we going to go to? 
I'm going to have to run through quickly the last couple points. John 12, 23, 28 is the part that talks about um, Christ says, I'm, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here he's talking about going to the cross. He's right there. It's here. He's going to be rejected, despised by people. And he's going to it. And he's calling that glorified. We think of glory of being, we think of receiving and, glor and glorying in a victory as a king would do with pomp and circumstance because the enemy was defeated and we're set free from, um, you know, uh, the communists that are uh, trying to take over the world. And we just defeated them, Second World War. They're raising up the American flag. There's a defeat there and there's a victory there. And we honor those who went and, and took the um, uh, victory in the name of um, truth and justice and that that type of victory but here is here this is different kind of glory this isn't a glory that looks like victory this is a glory that looks like defeat on the outside but its ultimate end is freedom for those who will follow him and believe in him i'm going about to be glorified as you see me go to the cross and suffer and be rejected so that all of the guilt and sinfulness of all men is laid on him and placed on him as the Father then rejects him on my behalf. My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the Father's rejection on my behalf who should have been rejected by my, what I earned and deserved. You see? And he's about to, that, that just that there is, is, it boggles their mind. I'm about to be glorified by going to a cross. Uh, and to glory means to make much of, to make its weightiness, being uh, weight up. And uh, so you look at this, um, a kernel of wheat doesn't, uh, if it falls to the ground, it, uh, it dies and it remains, unless it falls, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor that one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, just save me from this hour so it won't come. No, it was for this very hour that I came, the very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's about what he's about to do by the ending of and the dying to his self and of his own right to his own life so that life of many seeds will come. I couldn't help reading thinking it con and uh, considering this without thinking that it's exactly what Satan offers Jesus. Remember the wilderness and the temptations? First thing uh, that he offers him, I can give you all this and you don't have to go to the cross. And he could have had all the dominion of this created world. He already owned it all anyway. He made it. But there was a dominion that Satan had over the hearts and minds of men who had now fallen from God and had fallen by sinfulness um, into a state where now death and uh, eternal death was pending. The wrath of God was pending on them. And, uh, and uh, uh, here's, the th here's the same difference between the worldly philosophy, worldly psychology, worldly ethics, and Christ's ethics. And his worldview is that you do what's good for you, 
and do what pleases you and do what builds up you and what you need for your self-image? Or will you lay that down and take on um, um, being thought of poorly by others? You all seek the praises of men. That's why you can't believe in God, remember? Or will you seek the things that God seeks and desires? Now, if Jesus would have taken that, taken the easy way out, and had a kingship and lordship over the earth by rights, and uh, not gone to the cross, he would not have had sons. He would have had subjects. And that was just fine and well with the devil. He doesn't care about sons. He wants to rule, not shepherd. But God cares about sons whose hearts are towards him and want him. There's relationship. And that comes first, then the obedience. Jesus put the Father's mission, which is to have sons, as more important than his own life and went willingly there. That is glory. And these three things are... Um, working all together. Then the third thing, which I said, was where evangelism and discipleship comes in. I want to go to Philippians 3. And this is the last passage we're going to look at in this uh, today. And this is where Paul um, looks forward to uh, tell us what his mission is, what his goal is. And listen, for whatever was profit to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Put this in its context. What, he, what the passage just came from before that, Paul was exclaiming the place that if anybody has the right to boast as a Jew and as a religious zealot and as somebody who did everything that the law required, I was the guy that was the Pharisee of the Pharisees born um, of the tribe of Benjamin. I did everything as to zeal. I persecuted all those who were not Jewish, including the Christians. There, You, you couldn't find uh, uh, one area where I failed according to the law, I'm considering all of that as nothing. <clears throat> and if you'll, you'll excuse me, but I'm going to just tell you what the text meant. A great big pile of fresh, hot, steaming dung. <laughs> That's what all of my best religious good intentions and works amount to as far as knowing him. And knowing is not an intellectual exercise or pursuit. It's an intimate experience. Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a child. God wants to know you by being in you and you in him. It's a relationship and it can't be, you can't attain that. Because there's somebody else involved in that. Him, who has a will and chooses to make that. It's a work of God that you and I are to receive that relationship. And he's ready to restore it based on just the faith in his promise. That is what all the things that I have done, the best and the most beautiful and the greatest, amount to nothing but rubbish for the sake of knowing him and are a loss to me compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything, is now 
that I'm following Christ, I lose my status as a Jew, my position as a teacher in Israel, I'm, call, oh, I'm chased around everywhere, I'm beaten, I've taken 39 stripes about four times, and I've been put in prison all over the place, I've lost everything in terms of this world and this life to follow Jesus Christ. Because that is the most important thing to me. That is what life is all about, to know Him. That is true life and eternal life, to know Him. For whose sake I've lost all things and consider them all rubbish, that I might gain Christ. And let's move on couple more verses. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law and me abil my ability to do its, its mandates, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is imputed to me, charged to my account, and I've done nothing but receive it by putting my faith in him. Verse 10, I want to know him. That is what, that's my motivation now. That's why I do what I do now. I want to know more of him. And every time I try to put self and works, whether it's good and religious, and but in that gets in the way. When it's me trying to do God's work for him, it gets in the way. Abraham had uh, uh, Ishmael. By mistake, he tried to do. He tried to bring God's promises in, out, out to, uh, and do it in his own strength and will. It got in the way, and we still have problems with the result of that that action today, don't we? And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming stay, stay on this verse for a minute, becoming like him in his death. That's my. Purpose and goal. I want to know him, and in order to know him, I need to be walking with him and beside him and following him like he did, taking up my cross, which is an instrument of my death, so that I will be like him, not looking to serve myself and the agenda and the things that I think God needs me to do, because this is his plan and his will. So, I'll, good, you show me what to do. I can go do it now, Lord. I'll be off with you. I might need your help along the way, but uh, I've, got, I've got, no, you don't do good spiritual works by your effort. You yield to him, and it's his life that flows into you, that is allowed to flow out of you, and then people don't see you. They see Christ in you, living his life in you and through you. That's the life of the Spirit, who's producing the life of Jesus Christ through the believer. I want to know him and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, like he went to the cross willingly as a son who lived for the will of the Father, for the benefit of others who will follow and follow and come to know the Father because of my example. That's the what I want to leave, the legacy I want to leave when I leave this planet, this short life of pain and suffering. It's about Christ. We spend too much time trying to avoid pain and suffering, whether it's physical or whether it's persecution or whether it's ridicule and mockery from unbelievers, more than we are motivated to want to know him and then make him known. How much is in your heart that motivates you to want to make known the one who has made himself known to you? This is the passion of Paul. 
Philippians 3, and it was based on his revelation of Christ in Philippians 2. Who existed, though he existed as, as God emptied himself out and poured himself, this is now my motivation to share in his sufferings and to walk. I looked at these three points after I had wrote this down and didn't even realize it. But these three points, rejection, glory in dying to self, and an evangelism in making disciples and reproducing life, were exactly uh, what uh, a verse in the, the Gospels where Jesus actually said these three things. I looked at this and I said, this is exactly that verse where Jesus said, if you want to follow me, those who want to be my disciples must, three things, A, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And what Paul is saying, I want to follow him. He's talking about following him to a, with a cross, dying to self, and living to him, being, being um, like him in his death. Now you can move to the um, next verse and we'll finish this passage. And so somehow attained to the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already obtained this or that I've already been made perfect, but I, I'm still a work in progress, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me when he brought me out of sin and bondage to the world and set my feet upon a rock. He did that for a reason. Thank God it delivered me, but there's a bigger reason than that. He didn't just want to deliver me. He wanted to make me a son and make me a part of his mission and about what he's doing and the reason why he created everything to bring it could go all the way back to the beginning. That, that the reason for that was so that I would be one with the Father as the Son is one with him and I'm one and I'm together with him. There's a relationship. That is, that is what it's all about. Brothers, I don't consider myself as yet having taken hold of it. I haven't gotten there yet, but one thing I do know, I'm forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I'm pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You following him? Um, who are we following? We have, a, we, have a, uh, we have a Savior that went on before us and plowed the path. And who tells us, follow him. And Paul, to those he's teaching, to the Corinthian church, said, follow me as you see me follow Christ. And uh, that's our, our goal and our mission. We have a mission that exceeds that. When you think of it that way, you're not, evangelism just isn't a task that you need to you know, take classes for to see that you're doing for. When somebody, when somebody has the Father's love in their heart, you can't shut that person up from talking about the one they love the most that burns inside of them. I might not do it all right and all wrong, but I'm doing it. And you learn as you go along. You've got a part and a pur purpose in you that can't be quiet about the Christ who loves you and has called you and, uh, uh, and that has compassion on those around you who are still wallowing in the, in the darkness of of this world. I pray that um, that's our goal and our purpose today. In Jesus' name.
Well, we'll um, end with that. I'm going, uh, we're going to uh, do things a little bit differently. Um, I actually had planned to, uh, to jump over here on this piano, which I've never done before. I'm going to sing the last song with you and for you. And uh, those of you who have been here for about four decades, you'll, know, you'll remember this song, Spirit Song, called Spirit Song. It was written by John Wimber. You all know who John Wimber is? He came out of the actual, he, he um, uh, came to the Lord through the uh, Calvary, uh, Calvary Chapel movement in the early Jesus movement, but, and then left that and started Vineyard Church. And now there's hundreds of Vineyard Churches all over the place. And he wrote uh, this song that uh, we used to sing, and it was on my heart, it's been on my heart, not so much, just uh, we'll lead with this and close uh, singing this song, and then after we do that, we can have, uh, we'll dismiss, and anybody who wants to uh, come and pray with us, you can do that while the rest of, of us are dismissed. So, Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for your work in our lives, and that it's you doing the work in our lives daily to make us more like you. We thank you, Father, that we have that perfect example and the one before us that we just keep our eyes on him. You not only give us the way and show us the way, you give us the power to carry it out. We pray that you'd strengthen and solidify our steps daily to make us strong in you, to desire you, to see everything, Lord, that uh, even good things that take us off that path and off of that straight and narrow, Lord, as a distraction or a disturbance. We want nothing more but to know you and to make you known. We pray that's the thing that motivates us every day, that we'll draw nearer to you and walk closer to you um, uh, today and tomorrow than we did yesterday. Strengthen and burn, let our hearts burn together, Lord, with you and, and for the first love that we have in Jesus' name. I pray that your love would burn in the hearts of husbands for wives and wives for husbands. Restore and strengthen marriages. Make it like never before. And in relationships with our children, let love be evident. Let it be without hypocrisy, just play acting, but in truth. We pray, Father, that you'd strengthen our hearts and that we'll see your heart towards us, which longs and yearns for us to be with you and by your side in Jesus' name. Amen.